come to this place and we praise your name. I love singing the power of your name. I love singing the glory within your name. And I love singing the promises that you've made to us, God. I love that we can sing words that we've experienced in this culture here. And we can sing words that are true together. So God, we, we love you and we just give this time to you praising your name as the one true king. Before the world was born, before the earth knew life, you were there. You called the
morning as we worship our great God. Yeah. So good. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for waking us up this morning and giving us a day that we can walk outside and go, God, you're amazing. You're awesome and and wonderful and you created everything that we see and everything that we don't and you love us. So God, I pray that we stand in your presence, humble this morning, and thankful that you love us. Lord, you're good. And we ask this morning that that you would uh, make us aware of, of what you're doing so that we can step in and be a part of it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before you grab a seat, find a couple people that you know and some you don't and tell them, hey, good to see you. today. Today is an exciting day um, because we're together. God brought us here. He called this meeting. There's something that he has for you this morning. And so we're excited uh, to just get to hang out and, and, and experience uh, something new about the power of God and his Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, there's a few things we want to make sure that everybody stays in the loop on. Um, uh, but uh, as, as I'm chatting with you, just go ahead and pass those friendship folders right now. They're, they're on the ends of the aisles. We want to know that you're here. We want to say thank you. We want to be praying for you. So if you could just sign your name and pass that on, that would be amazing. Uh, so uh, my name is Eric. I get to be one of the pastors here. Again, it's good to see you. For everyone watching online, we're excited that you're joining us this morning, too. Uh, thank you for being part of our family. Um, believe it or not, we are in Christmas season, and we have been for a while. You can go into Hobby Lobby, and you can feel it. It's awesome. Um, and so uh, our, our um, dessert theater has been practicing and building momentum. Uh, how many of you guys have been a part of the dessert theater in the past? or come to the dessert theater, or like dessert, or Christmas, or Jesus. See, all these things, we're all in that same boat. Well, the dessert theater is, uh, is coming up, um, and we have some, some, some openings, some needs for people in the choir. So if you, are, uh, if you love to sing, Jesus loves to hear you sing. And so there's an opportunity for you to jump in and be a part of that. Uh, today at 4 o'clock, they're rehearsing. So uh, Beth DePietro is heading that up. So if you are wanting to be a part of that, show up today right in this room at 4 o'clock and say, hey, I like to sing. And Beth's going to go, let's chat. So uh, it's going to be a really great thing. So uh, I hope that you all are able to come and be a part of it. Come see it. Invite your friends, neighbors, and coworkers. God always uses the dessert theater to draw people to himself. It's exciting to be able to uh, to be a little part of that. Um, coming up on October 30th, there's something that my kids are excited about, the trunk and treat. Um, and they've been excited since last year, and they love the fact that it's the one-two punch this year of, like, trunk and treat, Halloween. They're going to be hopped up on sugar till Christmas, and I'm okay with it. Um, my wife is less than okay with it, but she loves me anyway. So, uh, but the trunk and treat is going to be so much fun. We're going to have tons of stuff in that parking lot. Communities from all over are going to be here, uh, and and we're just going to get to love on them a little bit. But we do have some specific needs for that night. Uh, in 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 the lobby, there's a table, um, and there's a, a person out there who will chat with you about some of the things that we need. Are people like uh, hall monitors to make sure that things go smoothly in the hallway? Um, think people that can buy extra candy, people that can hand out hot dogs, or maybe uh, you're like, hey, I'll decorate my trunk or somebody else's. Uh, either way. We have opportunities uh, for you to be a part of that great, fun event. Um, And if you want to learn more, chat at the table in the lobby. And then the last thing, coming up on November 2nd at 10 a.m., we have a men's event at Topgolf. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, Whether you're great at golf or whether you're like me and you just hit it and hope it goes somewhere, um, it's going to be a lot of fun. 
Uh, and so we're, we're going to have some days that are together. Uh, and I would love to see a lot of the men here just come and hang out, have a good time, uh, and laugh at one another as uh, as we miss the ball completely. So, um, But I, I, it's going to be a ton of fun. So hopefully you guys can do just that. I want to invite the ushers to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings this morning. And as we prepare to hear from God, let's remember that as we've been into this this series, this ghost stories, talking about the Holy Spirit and His power, let's remember that He is our helper. He is our helper, and there's so much comfort in that. And so let's ask Him this morning to do just that, to be our helper, to open up our eyes, open up our ears, open up our hearts, to hear from Him in a new and personal way so that we can become more like Him today than when we leave, than when we walked in. Let's go before the Lord together and pray. God, we, we love You. We need You. We are completely dependent upon You. And so, Lord, we ask right now that You would meet us You would help us to be aware of your power that is active and moving around us. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would would, would be our helper, that you would uh, reveal to us new depths and new levels of who you are and your love for us. The power that is in your Holy Spirit, God. Your word tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And we ask that you would allow us to experience that this morning, to become more like you. We pray for Pastor Ken as he gives the message that you have placed on his heart, God. That you would give him a boldness and a clarity and a confidence that can only come from you. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would would take these tithes and these offerings, that you would use them. You would bless our community, that you would bless the people, that you would build our faith. And God, thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing right here in Finleyville. We love you. We thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. here this morning. Thank our great God. What a great day of worship we've had so far. God's been so good to us. You know, thank Him. Absolutely, thank Him. We, uh, we're so thankful for the beautiful weather. You know, at first service, I snuck out the door and got to say hi to everybody at the bottom of the ramp. It's like, this is not supposed to happen this time of year, is it? You know, 60 degrees. You get to turn on the heat at night and the air conditioning in the day. You know, you're from western Pennsylvania, right? So, we're in a series, The Ghost Stories, Holy Ghost Stories, all right? Somebody walked into church last week, and they pulled out the bolt, and they go, what is happening in this church? Like, ghost stories at church. I said, did you see the word holy right down the side? Holy ghost stories. So, you know, uh, this is the time of year you look around, everybody's having their ghost walks. I saw in Monongahela they had a ghost walk, and different communities had ghost walks. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the Holy Ghost, Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen? And so that's what we're all about. And if you are frustrated with the Christian life, like you have tried to live the Christian life and you can't, it's because you don't understand the Holy Ghost. Like if you are trying to live the whole, this, this life, like this Christian life that God's called you to do, uh, you're going to be frustrated when you try to do that in your own power because you can't do it in your own power. You can only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. Look at, the, look at what Jesus said here, John 14. This is our, our, our key passage here. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I have beat myself up over that verse for years. 
Because I can't keep the commandments. And Jesus' commandments were pretty simple, to love God and to love others. I mean, that's, that's a tall order. I mean, that's simple to remember, but it's a tall order. It's everything, right? Love God and love each other. And so he says, if you love me, you, if you love me you'll keep my commandments. And so I've always memorized that part. But look at the rest of the context. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Not to be with you as long as you don't sin. Not to be with you until it's no longer convenient. He says, to be with you forever. That word helper is this word parakletos. Right? He's our paraclete, the parakletos. He comes alongside of us. Uh, he, he is the one. He's our advocate. Quite often you'll see that word translated advocate, comforter, counselor. He's our helper. Look here, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He's coming. Verse, uh, and, and this was Jesus, uh, before he leaves, he says he's going to come. Verse uh, 17, even the spirit of truth, uh, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So, so he goes through and he says, listen, the world's not going to understand the Holy Spirit. He is going to be in you. He's with you and he is in you. So this is some pretty big stuff here that the Spirit of God is with you. He, his presence is with you forever. If you are a child of God, if you have humbled yourself in the sight of Almighty God and said that Jesus is Lord, I believe that he died on the cross. He paid for my sin. He came back to life again for me. You've trusted him as personally as your Savior, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And he has given you a helper. Last week we said this. We said there were three key areas that, that we looked at last week. And, I mean, there's so much work of the Holy Spirit. But three key areas. The, the Holy Spirit, he comforts us. He will, he will counsel you. He'll comfort you. And he will convict you. So when you look at this, how, the, how, does, he, how does he comfort? He, he doesn't make you comfortable. He, he, makes, he gives you comfort. You go through some of those seasons of life and you say, man, that was the hardest time of my life. How did I ever make it through that time? That's when the Holy Spirit was there to comfort you. He got you through that time. He says that he comes to comfort us. Um, he counsels us. He gives us wisdom and direction and guidance. Seek the Lord. Uh, acknowledge him in all of your ways and he will guide your path. He will direct your steps. The steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. How does he do it? He does it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives and dwells inside of you. And then, then we ended last week on this thought of conviction. He convicts us of sin. And so when you think of conviction, conviction is one of those scary words, isn't it? Like, you, you, I remember as a kid hearing that somebody was convicted of the, like the Holy Spirit conviction. I was like, whoa, what is that? I was scared. I, I'll never forget hearing some of those things. And I, I, I never forget hearing, we used to have pews in the church here. And there was a, there was a, the pastor would get up and they would show these, these movies of Thief in the Night. Some of you remember those movies. It was about the end times, Thief in the Night. And I'll never forget, I was like a little kid sitting over here maybe middle school, and, uh, you know, we're all sitting there, and you, know, you were just, this movie was really scary. It was like some of the Revelation stuff, and you're like, whoa, you're blown away. And I was holding on the pew in front of me, and the pastor would get up and say, some of you are holding the pew, and you've been convicted by God. I was like, I'm holding the pew. I'm scared to death, you know. I mean, uh, we didn't understand what conviction was. Let me tell you this today. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is a gift. Please, it is not something that is bad. It is something you should value and cherish if you are a believer. It, it, is, it is so valuable. Without it, we would not, you would not have eternal life. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is so powerful, and it will help you with so many areas of your life. So I want to talk today about conviction. Um, look, look here. He says, verse John, 17, John 16, verse 7. He says, I tell you, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Uh, he's, this, this is right before Jesus goes to heaven. Like the, in, the, in the next few days, he's going to the cross and he's, he's, uh, he's going to be uh, killed on the, on the cross. He's going to be buried for three days. 
He's going to rise again. And, and the disciples have no clue. He just told them a little bit earlier that, like, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And he, he's setting this up, and they're, they're, they're confused. They don't understand what's really happening here. They just know that he's saying this stuff, and I don't really get it. And, and, and so he says, listen, I'm going to send the, the, the helper to you. He says, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, right there, Jesus gave us three aspects of conviction. And I want to look here because it's so powerful this morning what, the, what this gift of conviction from the Holy Spirit is for you and for me in our lives. He says, he continues verse 9. This is the first aspect. He says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Uh, you know, this is something to really be thankful for. He says, you know, he says, you will, the, the Holy Spirit will come and convict because of sin, convict concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. Sin is a, a pretty big deal in our life. And, you know, when you understand that this holy God, like, here's God. He is so holy. The word holy means set apart. He is so set apart from you and I. And and with that is he's so perfect. And, and the word sin means to miss the mark. So when you understand this holy God, like he's holy, and he says to be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. So when when we when the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin, he's convicting us that we missed the mark of being like our Father. We have missed the mark of holiness, of being set apart. Like we cannot be perfect like our Father in heaven is. So it, do you understand today that without the the conviction of the Holy Spirit, without Him bringing this to your heart and convicting you to help you to understand that you need a Savior, you would never have gotten there. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not like, hey, you know what, I, I got this because I studied this. No, no, no. It's the Spirit of God. He has to do something in you. I know people who have studied this all their life. Many people are scholars and still haven't got it because they have let it stop here. And it has to come down to their heart. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of our sin. And when I say heart, I'm talking about you humbling yourself in the presence of an almighty God and saying, God, I am a sinner. I am undone, just like Isaiah did whenever he saw the holiness of God. Uh, there's, there's a conscious inside of man. You know, uh, when, when you think of man and conscious, you think of, you know, everybody has a conscious and it kind of gives you a, a sense of right and wrong, right? But uh, that conscious can be flawed. It really can be. Um, you know, you know some people, you've heard, you may have said, well, that person has a good conscience, right? And you heard other people who say, well, they have a bad conscience. And then you heard other people who say, well, they have no conscience, right? They're just really crazy, right? They, they'll do anything without any sense. Well, the Holy Spirit is bigger than your conscience. The Holy Spirit comes, and, and his job as he comes into your life, as he indwells the believer, is to convict us of our sins. So he's convicting the world of sin. So what he's doing is he's coming to this lost world, and he's bringing to, to light that we have offended this holy God. So this isn't particularly a sin in particular that you're thinking of. You know, if you go in the Old Testament, you will read a list of sins, like things that people would get stoned for. Uh, you know, like they would kill these people for sin, like things that were really bad. But the greatest sin is disbelief. You see, the Holy Spirit has come not just so that you will be a person who does not sin, but so that you will be a person who has life. We were dead, and God has brought us unto life. And so the Spirit of God has to come and convict you so that you can now understand that you are a sinner, that you have offended this holiness of God. Most people don't get that on their own. As a matter of fact, none of us get it on our own. There's none that there's none righteous, no, not one. The scripture says there's not there there's none of us that have turned towards God on our own. It's all over the Bible. So the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and convicts us of our sin, and the greatest sin in the Bible is the sin of disbelief. And so He comes. The Holy Spirit will convict you of disbelief in Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, it, it, that's the very the very root of sin issues in our life. 
Think about this. You, you come along and there's a, there's a temptation in your life. And, and even as a believer, you're following Jesus Christ and you see something in God's word. You say, well, gee, I really struggle with that. I, I don't like that. You know what happens? You become in an issue where you are in disbelief of is God's way the right way or is my way the right way? Is how I feel the right way? You know, most people are evaluating life by how they feel. Like, oh, well, I just think it, I, in, in reasoning of your own. No, no, the Holy Spirit has to come and convict us of disbelief in Jesus. If we do not surrender our heart, our soul to Jesus, that he died on the cross and that he came back to life again, if we don't start there, we've missed it. There's no other way into heaven. Your works will not get you into heaven. The scripture is real clear about it. It is by grace alone through Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross. He paid for your sin once for all forever. But it's the Holy Spirit that comes and convicts you because you won't even trust that without the work of the Spirit of God. Look here what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 15, 22, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Like they would, they would have never known the measuring stick. They would have never known the mark of perfection. They would never have understood that they have sinned by missing God's standard of perfection. So, like God, God's God's standard of perfection was we've missed it. We have missed the standard of perfection. And He says, "Had He not come," but do you know what He says? He says, "Now they have no excuse for their sin. Neither do we. We have no excuse for our sin because we have the the measuring stick is." God. He became flesh. He made his dwelling among us. He showed us how to love perfectly, how to live perfectly. He showed us how to do it all. And as you look at your life next to Jesus Christ, you'll see all kinds of shortcomings. But thanks be to God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that brings you to understand that your sin has separated you from this holy God. Um, People in that day, I want you to think about this, the people in that day, one of the great sins of the people of that day, if you can imagine crucifying Jesus to the cross. Like you were in the crowd that day. Could you imagine being in the crowd whenever they're cheering, crucify him, crucify him, and, and they just lob all these, all these uh, nasty thoughts. Some of them were spitting on Jesus, just all kind of terrible things as they look at Jesus and they turn their back on this Messiah. And as they do that, it's like, wow, they, they, they're just, they're, 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 they've made one of the, you know, could you imagine just being there? And how great that would be a burden on your heart. Paul, uh, the Peter, the apostle, stands up on the opening day of the church over in Acts chapter 2. And he gives a sermon. And when he gives a sermon, he, there was conviction. And I want to show you this example of conviction in, in the Bible. Because there was a conviction of the Holy Spirit. And when we stand up, and so sometimes you may be in church, you may hear something that's shared from the Word of God, and you go home and you, you feel convicted. Like, man, I need to do something about this, right? So, so look here. Verse uh, Acts 2.36, so, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. He, he's standing up. There's thousands of people, and he's sharing this message of Jesus Christ. He says, this Jesus, whom you people crucified. That'd be like, you know, if I got up and said something about something you did last night in church, you'd be like, how do you know about that? Sometimes people will say that to me, like, were you reading my emails? It's like, no, I don't have time for that. I can't even read my own emails, okay? It's like, you know, I don't know what's going on in your life, but the Holy Spirit of God is guiding, and he's working, and he's, he's convicting us. He, and so here's what happened. These people were there, and these, many of them were in the crowd that day. Now, catch this. Many of them hurled insults at Jesus. Some probably spat upon him. Others just turned their back on him. And, and, and imagine, you know, the day that Jesus died, imagine what was going on. These people, they, they probably were really hurting. They were probably like, uh, I know his 12 disciples were wondering what's going on. But the larger crowd had walked away and turned their backs on Jesus. Verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Now Peter says, you crucified Jesus. And, the, and here's what conviction is. Now, check this out. Conviction was, oh, we have sinned. What should I do about it? That's the difference between false guilt and conviction, folks. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, he does not condemn you. He convicts you. 
He comes before you and he says, oh, here's a sin problem. We have to deal with it. And thanks be to God, he has the remedy. And so condemnation, false guilt says, because when I was 17, I did that. And Satan brings it to my mind and starts lobbing this memory at me. When you were 17 and you did that, when you were 25, you said that. When you were 30, what you did yesterday, what you did last night. Listen, that's all from the enemy whenever it comes like this. What you did, therefore you're no good. God could never love you. You see, that's, from, that's directly from the enemy because God, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, we are going to sin. We are going to do wrong. He starts with this general conviction that, hey, you are a sinner. You need this Savior. And as you walk in the Spirit, you walk in, in, in this world, the words of God are going to at time pierce your heart. I'll be honest with you. When I read the Scripture, sometimes there are things that just pierce my heart. And it's like, wow. God, I need, to, I need to grow up in this area of my life. I need to mature. Like, like what you said here and what, I, what I'm feeling are two different things. And don't ever judge your life on your feelings. Because your feelings are so up and down and all around. They're everywhere. But God says, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come in and he's going to convict you. And here's the response. When he brings something to light, your, your response is, what do I do now? What do I do with this? Where do I go with this? Look what Peter tells him. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. I love that. You must repent of your sin. Here you are. You're living your life. You're trusting your own righteousness. This is what these people were doing. They were Jewish people he's talking to here. They were good religious people. They understood all the rules, the regulations. They were religious. They were, remember, the town was swelled up because of the festivals. They were in town. They knew about Jesus whenever, whenever Jesus would, uh, had died on the cross. They were in for Passover. It would draw upwards of a million people on this little town of Jerusalem. So these people were religious. They did the outward. They knew how to be religious. But they, they didn't know Jesus. And he says, each of you must repent of your sin. The greatest sin was not trusting in Jesus. He says, I want you to come and I want you to repent. And by the way, when you think of repentance, that's another gift, folks. It's another gift. Because when you repent, here's what you're doing. I'm living life in my sin. And the scripture tells me that sin brings forth death. Like every time I do what is right in my own eyes and I sin and I, you know, this is me, this makes me feel comfortable. You can make yourself feel comfortable all the way to death. Do you realize that? Get, get around an addict. An addict is extremely comfortable in the moment of, a, of addiction. And so, so this is what happens when we come into our life, whether it's an addiction or just a sin that is plaguing us, we are living unto death. And, and Peter says here, each of you must repent. That means turn from your sins and turn to God who gives us life. Now, when you, when, you start, when you really understand what he's calling you to do, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's, it's big, but it's simple. Like, you're going to move from death to life. Not, okay, over here, this is so much fun. You're going to become a Christian, and you're never going to have fun again. That's what we think of when we think of the word repent, doesn't it? In the meantime, God says, you thought you were having so much fun over there. I want you to turn to me, and I'm going to give you life like you never experienced in your life. And that's what repentance is. He says, Peter says, what, what, what do you do with this now? He's convicted you. He's pierced your heart. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And then he says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's better translated this way. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show the forgiveness of your sins. And that's really the idea here. When you study what the Bible says about a particular topic, you look at passages from all the Bible, not just an isolate. And what does God teach about baptism? He teaches that it's an outward sign of an inward decision. Uh, the word baptize means to immerse. That's all it means. It just, it just means immerse. So that's why we baptize in water. We immerse people under the water. Um, buried in the likeness of Christ's death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. 
we have somebody going to get baptized at the end of our service today. Isn't that exciting? Woo, yeah, that's exciting, okay? We have somebody Saturday night this week getting baptized. We have somebody at 9.30 next week getting baptized, and I think at 11 again next week. So God is just doing his work. Thanks be to God, right? That's because, all right? And none of that would be happening without the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. But let me just share, share this with you. The, the, um, um, these people are helping to get the baptism ready, all right? And the pastor's ADD. So uh, anyhow, you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. So baptism doesn't get you to heaven. Baptism gets you wet. Okay? I'm being very honest with you. The water that's in the tank back there is about 85 degrees, and it's no more holy than what you turn on in your tap anywhere in Union Township. In Finleyville, I go home, it's the same tap water, okay? It, it is an outward sign. Like, Jesus asked us to do this. Jesus was baptized. And if Jesus was baptized, you know it wasn't to get to heaven, right? So he asked us to be baptized as a mark of identification. It's like a wedding ring. You know, I wear this ring. My wife gave this to me more than 26 years ago. Look at that. Man. And I haven't lost it yet. <laughs> I take and I wear that thing, right? I put it on. I, I'm just weird. I can't sleep with anything like rings on, right? So <laughs> I'll leave it at that, right? So. I, uh, I take that off at night. <laughs> I take that off at night. And I'll tell you what, if I go to work without that on, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling it. You know why? This is not my commitment, but it's the symbol of my commitment. And so for a believer, baptism is that symbol. It's the wedding ring. And you slide that on. So today, one of the people in our church are going to slide that commitment, that symbol on. And it's just going to, and so if you're here and you're following Christ and you haven't done that yet, I want to invite you. It's time to put the ring on. Like when you do that, that's going public. You know, I could have secretly told my wife I love her. I did. <laughs> I was scared to death. I told her I love you. But when I stood up here on this very stage more than 26 years ago and cried and said, I love you, and I had this ring, I tell you what. The world saw it. This place was packed out. Many of you were here. That's what we want to do today with this baptism. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is not baptism isn't when the Holy Spirit comes. It is when you come to Christ. When you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. Look what, look what he continues on here. He says, this promise is to you and to your children and even to all the Gentiles. <laughs> I love it. He includes us. He was speaking to a group of Jewish people. He says, this is to you, to your grandchildren, to everybody, and even those Gentiles. Thank God, because there's way more Gentiles than anybody else, right? The Jews were a small population. God says to all and all who have been called by the Lord our God. He's the one who calls us. Did you see that? All who have been called by Jesus. Like this, the Lord is calling us. Verse 40, then Peter continued preaching for a long time. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Peter continued preaching for a long time. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. Those who believed. They came to Christ. 3,000. I'm excited we have a baptism today, Saturday, next Sunday. But could you imagine 3,000 baptisms? Could you imagine? Talk about late for dinner. You'd be missing the 1 o'clock kickoff. I mean, all that stuff, right? 3,000 people came to Jesus and God said, man, this is good. This is what it's all about. And, and listen, while, while you were not in that crowd, we're still guilty of that very same Acts 2.36 Jesus, whom you crucified. And you know how we know that? First Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, made alive by the Spirit. He suffered for your sin, for my sin. 
the just, the perfect. For me, the unjust, the sinner. And that's what he did. And God was put to death on the cross. But look who was involved in the resurrection. Mm, The Spirit. The Holy Spirit was involved in the resurrection. He convicts us with hope. The Holy Spirit convicts us with hope. And, and this is so powerful because the second thing that he, he, the second aspect of conviction this morning, it deals with the hope side. Look at John 16:10. Concerning righteousness. So he said, first, concerning sin. Now, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Like, perfect righteousness was not provided until Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. It was only after Jesus had been accepted by the Father that he could provide the righteousness for us. Now, check this out. I want you to think about this because when Jesus was, uh, was here on the earth and he's telling these people this, they're not understanding what's coming. Like, they, they're not catching it that the crucifixion is going to come and they are going to, they are going, their life is going to be online. He's trying to tell them this. And in these passages, you see all this, but they're not catching it. He says, so concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. There's a whole lot in this statement. One is the righteousness. The the Holy Spirit will convict you and I that he is righteous. You will be convicted. So you're convicted of sin on one hand and you're convicted of the righteousness of God on the other hand. In the Old Testament, this is so powerful. In the Old Testament. Here's what happened. They would go and they would have, they had the temple worship and you would take an animal and you would sacrifice an animal. And on the day of atonement, once a year on the day of atonement, it was a holy day unto the Lord. The priest would go in behind this curtain. And it was, it was, uh, it, it was, uh, it was the, the, this curtain that separated the general area from the Holy of Holies. And behind that curtain was the Holy of Holies. Like this is the place where God dealt with sin. And so the, the, the priest would go in and he would have the blood of the sacrifice, the blood of, these, of, the, of the lambs, and he would go in and he would, he would offer the sacrifice. Now, Hebrews says that the blood of animals couldn't save us from our sin. It was all a foreshadowing. We see that this was faith. They were having faith in the promise of what was to come. They did what God told them to do. So they went in and they, they would have the sacrifice. And here's what would happen. that The, the priest would go in there. And after he would come out is whenever they would rejoice. Because they would then understand that their sacrifice had been accepted. Like what what they had done, their, their sacrifice that they gave to God was now, it was official, it was sealed, and it was done. As a matter of fact, when the priest, the high priest would go in there, he had, he had an outer garment on and had bells along the bottom. And the bells along the bottom were so that when he was moving around in there, you would know that he was still alive and that he had not died in the presence of a holy God. I mean, you're talking the holiness of God, folks. This is big stuff. You're in the, in the midst of the holiness of God. Jewish tradition says that seven priests had died throughout, the, throughout history. Like they went in there and that they, had, uh, that they weren't right with God themselves and they're trying to deal with the sins of the people. Uh, like this was big stuff. And so I want you to catch this because the people never understood that their, that, their, that their offering had been accepted till the priest came out on the other side. When Jesus says concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Here's what happens. Look here in Hebrews. Oh my. Hebrews. This is good. After making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you were a disciple and and you saw Jesus was going to the cross and you're wondering and you're, you're like, what? We gave our life to this guy? Like we saw him feed 5,000 people. Now, now this is over. Like, like you would have, you'd be really messed up. Like on Good Friday, it wouldn't be nothing good about it. You'd be like disturbed Friday. You know what I mean? It would be just the, the worst day of your life. And you'd be in grieving and you'd remember these distant things that he said. And you didn't re- it's not stand out to you because you're just not thinking he's going to come back to life. And, and then if you were, you're, that's the 12. And then if you were in the, the, the 70 or the, or the 
2,000 and 5,000 and 10,000. Many of those people, they just hurled insults and gave up. <laughs> yeah, I followed him. I, I had, a, had a fish sandwich lunch from him one day. He gave out free fish sandwiches. It was a fun day. And I guess that was, that was kind of over. And he'd throw in the towel. And then they heard that Jesus rose from the dead. Like the inner circle, they got it. Like when they started seeing him, they, they, they started to testify. And then he was, he was seen of more than 500 witnesses over 40 days. Like the proof is out there, folks. Jesus has risen from the dead. But if you weren't one of those 500 that you, you're in that crowd, you had the fish sandwich and that's it. You just chucked it all up. Well, maybe you're saying, what? Huh? Did he really? I didn't mean him. Thomas did that. Thomas said that without, uh, without seeing, he wouldn't believe. And so Jesus says, I'll, I'll settle that. I'm coming shaking your hand. And he shows up, and Thomas gets to touch him. He sees the nail-printed hands. He sees all this, and it's like, wow. It, it it's kind of blows his mind, and then he believes. And then Jesus says, that, uh, he says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. You know how we believe without seeing? It's with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Like the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and lets you know that the sacrifice has been made acceptable by God. Like God the Father. Jesus is sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Jesus came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. Thirty-some years he lived a sinless life. Goes to the cross. Pays the penalty for your sin, my sin. Goes through the grave. Comes back to life again. Makes all these appearances. Ascends into heaven. And when he gets into heaven... Now remember, there was a period of time from his ascension to whenever the day of Pentecost. Whenever the Holy Spirit came. During that time, the Father says, I have accepted it. And I'm going to validate it. Here we go. The price you paid on the cross. Jesus, you, your work is done. You're sitting here with me now. Holy Spirit, it's your time. You go. Holy Spirit, go down there and let them know. It's like the priest coming out on the other side after the sacrifice. It is so exciting. Like, you didn't see the risen Lord, but you have the Spirit of God. This is his his, his, his proof to you that he, is, that he is alive. This is so powerful. He convicts us of the truth, of the righteousness of God. The Holy Spirit convicts us of the truth, the truth that God is righteous. He is the only righteous one. You're a sinner. God is righteous. There's only one way to Christ. He reveals that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He comes and reminds you what Jesus said. He's never going to tell you something that wasn't in his word. He's going to remind you of his word. He's going to come back. He's going to speak to you. He's going to affirm the word of God. Uh, If you're questioning, is the Holy Spirit talking to you or not, you go back and check it in the Bible. You, you just check it. Like, did God say it? Is this, is this what, does it align with the Scripture? And, and you will see if it aligns with the Scripture, God's probably speaking to you. And, and you see the Spirit of God moving. Look here at 1 Corinthians 12, 3. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. Oh, I love that. A believer is not, somebody who has the Holy Spirit is not going to turn and curse Jesus. I love it. He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You'll never be able to say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit of God. You'll never trust him. See, he convicts of sin and he proves that he is righteous. And then he says the third aspect this morning is this, that uh, concerning judgment, 1611, John 1611, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, this is so eye-opening to me. Whenever I caught like this progression, sin, righteousness, he convicts of sin. Here is the answer, the righteousness of God. And he convicts us of the judgment of the world. The ruler of the world, Satan, is judged. Folks, I want you to know that he's talking about the judgment of the devil here. The judgment of the devil. If you go into the book of Revelation and you'll read about the lake of fire. Man, God's going to take Satan who's plaguing you right now. 
He's plaguing you, tempting you with your habits, your hurts, your hang-ups, tempting you with all the addictions, with all the pain, all the things that you are dealing with right now in your life. The, the Scriptures tell us, and Jesus taught it, and here it is. Listen, the judgment of the devil. He is one day going to be cast into the lake of fire. There's so much evil in our world. Amen? Lots of evil. People ask me all the time, how can I raise a kid in this world? How would how anybody bring a kid into this world and raise them? And may I share this with you? Uh, here's how you do it. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me than the evil that is in the world. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, he lives in me. And whenever you send your kid off to school and you send him with Jesus Christ and he's faced with temptation, guess what? Greater is the Spirit of God living in that child than anything that school has to offer. Sorry, I'm getting a little excited. Forgive me. But I want you to know that the Spirit of God, because Satan's, his days are numbered, folks. Your days are eternal. My days on this earth are short, but I'm going to be with God forever and ever. Life eternal. Satan, oh, he can tempt. He can roam. The scripture says he's like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour now. But his day is coming to an end. And I can't wait. Amen? Woo! Forgive me. Look here. Hebrews 2.14. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. In other words... The Son leaves heaven and becomes human. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Only the Spirit of God can take you from this stuff that is killing you over here to life. Only through the Spirit of God do you turn from your sin to life, from death unto life. And here's the deal. He seals us. He has sealed it. I love what uh, the, the Holy Spirit, he will seal you. And here's what he says in Ephesians 1.13. In him also you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In those days, if, a, if an important person, a king or somebody, was sending a letter to you, he would take a scroll and he, he would take and he would seal it with wax. And then the king would take his ring and he would take it and he would put the imprint of his ring into that seal. And whenever you received the letter, you would know that this was authentic from the king. You would know it was from the important person. It wasn't an imposter. It wasn't somebody. You could tell if the seal had been broken. You could tell all these things. But it was the, the king would place his seal on there. And so when Jesus says, uh, whenever Paul's telling us here that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is his seal. Look at verse 14. He says, the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchase possession to the praise of his glory folks this holy spirit he is living inside of you he's convicting us of sin of righteousness the judgment of the world he's sealed you to the day of redemption what do we do about it don't grieve him don't grieve the holy spirit he he can be grieved that means to bring sorrow Look at look what the scripture says here in Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He sealed you to the day of redemption. How do we grieve him? By living in my own power. By turning back to sins that lead to death. By making my own decisions independent of him. Listen to him. Let him guide you. And when he's convicting you, Respond and surrender. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to invite you to Jesus. Just before our, we have our baptism, I want to invite you to Jesus. And would you just, if that's you this morning, say, Pastor Ken, I have not yet trusted Jesus as my Savior. I, I, you're talking about the Holy Spirit living in you. I. I don't know if he's in me or not. and I want you this morning to, to invite him. He says, through childlike faith, just trust him. And when you do, 
when you repent of your sin and turn to Jesus, the Holy Spirit steps into your life. So right now, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, you say, Pastor Ken, I've not yet opened my heart to Jesus. And I'm going to do that right now. Would you just pray something like this with me? Would you just pray and and call upon the Savior and just tell him something like this? Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've offended a holy God. But you died on the cross. And you paid for my sin. You came back to life again for me. And I trust you with my heart and my soul right now. God, I invite you into my heart. Thank you, Spirit of the living God, for coming into my life right now. Maybe for others in this place, God's been speaking to you. He's he's convicting you. He's bringing things to awareness to your heart, to your life, and don't resist them. Like... It's a gift. Like conviction is, is not something to be afraid of. It's, it's not ugly. It's not scary. It's beautiful. Like God cared about you so much to, to bring this stuff to light, to give you a righteous Savior, to let you know that your future is greater than anything in this world. Like can you rejoice in Him today? So this morning I just want you to, to lay that at the feet of Jesus. Whatever area that is that you are, that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of, will you no longer resist Him? Father God, thank you for your people this morning. I ask, Lord, that you will do great things in this place, Lord, as we seek you, as the Holy Spirit is moving, Lord, and, and just touching hearts and souls in our life. Thank you for many people in this place that came to Jesus this morning. They prayed and trusted Jesus as their personal Savior. God, I thank you for that. And I thank you for your, your believers, your followers all over this place, Lord, because you're convicting them of things that I have no clue of. I didn't read a list of sins up here. I gave them the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, your Holy Spirit is talking to me and talking to each one of us about the areas of our life that you're drawing us close to you by your conviction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we have a baptism. This is uh, Renee McNeese. All right, can you see her there? We'll get some light back there. All right. And uh, Renee McNeese. And go ahead, Jim, take it from there. All right. This is Renee Lynn McNeese. Hi, my name is Renee McNeese. I am eight years old. I live in Bethel Park, and I am in third grade. I got saved when I was in the car when I was seven years old, and I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart. My favorite verse is, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. John 3.16. My favorite thing about Clubhouse with Canopy Kids is we get to have a really fun I like to sing and dance in the canopy room. I have really fun teachers and I really like them. And learn about Jesus. I want to get baptized because I want everybody to know that I love Jesus. All right, Renee. Upon your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of Christ's death, raised in the likeness of Christ's resurrection. Pastor Jim. Did you tell them that was your granddaughter? No, I didn't. That was Pastor Jim's granddaughter. Can we thank God for that? (laughs) Folks, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Seven, eight years old, God convicts us, right? Some of you are 25 years old, haven't put the wedding ring on yet. I want to encourage you to go put the wedding ring on. 
stop, stop, go over there. Stop by the Welcome Center. Say, hey, I want to get baptized. I want to get on it ASAP. Like, don't, don't wait. It's like this is the next big move in your life. Little Renee, man, we, 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 we praise God. Just damn, God bless you, man. I'm so happy for your family, man. That's a, 